because you never get 1800, right? I mean, but yeah, you, you just happen. you keep your eye on it and you keep hitting reroll. Actually, I would do reroll save, reroll save, reroll save. Right, yeah. <laughs> for the Mundangerous Random Number Generator in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 143 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're letting the dice dictate our future as we discuss random character creation. But first, the rogue traders find a secret door in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Promethean is shaped to your will in the Character Creation Forge. Uh, so, Shane, you've been suggesting I do this for a while, but I finally started reading Gaunt's Ghosts. And it couldn't come a moment sooner because we're about to start playing Rogue Trader again. Of, of course, reading it, I keep thinking, all right, I want the guns that they're using right now, and I want the grenades <laughs> they're using over here, and I think that's a debt pack. <laughs> uh, we are governed by the Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules, Ishan. <laughs> Not the Abnetverse. <laughs> Not the... Uh, a fiction he was writing in 2002 right? when second edition was like a twinkle in no one's eye yet. And when Gaunt's Ghost was just a collection of short stories in a magazine. Yeah, yeah, no. I will say, I do wish I had read this earlier because um, just last week I actually submitted a pitch to the Black Library open submission. Um, they wanted like 500 words and a, and a pitch for a book. So I put one in. And? And I don't know. We'll find out sometime in the next 20 weeks. So. What, what was your pitch? Uh, a... A mercenary company. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd read it more for background. No, uh, a Primaris psyker who loses his faith in the emperor. Oh, okay. So a traitor. I got it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> that fits. All right. Speaking of uh, turning your tail and running, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malajact, the Rogue Traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the fallen Dark Angel, Lord Cypher. Uh, yeah, we're getting shot. Yeah, you have been shot. Uh, you just fended off the first attack in the upper reaches of the fortress, the upper casements, uh, when Archmilitant Draco kind of lost it for a bit and ordered a full withdrawal back to the main hall because, uh, in his words, they're in the walls. Which, for all we can tell, might actually be true because we don't know where they came from and we don't know where they went because even the ones we killed aren't here. Yeah, they hit you hard, fast, uh, and then by the time you mounted like a real resistance, they had left, um, and with them... The dead bodies went. It's all 13th warrior, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to eat the dead. So, uh, naturally, Draco, who's had a, a long night of helping his comrades um, deal with their own hauntings and uh, terrible dreams, uh, is convinced that they're either ghosts, specters, or hiding in the walls, and nothing can be trusted, and so he wants everybody to fall back and regroup. But even the retreat is interrupted with more shooting. Yeah, this time from the basement, from the engine room in the basement. Okay, from the other end. Yeah. Great, okay, we're literally surrounded. You were, you were at the top, and now <laughs> you're getting shot from the bottom. 
So, uh, kind of pulling it together just for a brief moment of clarity, rather than racing off down to the basement, uh, Draco orders an orderly move through the uh, fortress and insists that they inspect the walls and every passage as they go. Because uh, he suspects that there must be some hidden passages or hidden doors or something that's allowing access. Fine. Uh, that takes forever, though, and we're getting calls from the engine room in the basement uh, for help. So we split up. Trix and Flair stay back to look around and investigate, and Draco and the rest of us head on down to the basement because we have guns. So Trix and Flair... Uh take a few armsmen and start spreading out their inspection group. Um, and they end up, they do find a hollow wall panel. Uh, ha ha ha. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Our worst, our worst fears confirmed. It leads directly to the conservatory. <laughs> uh, you actually, they don't know where it leads because they refuse to investigate alone. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, uh, they position their armsmen, like a platoon of armsmen to guard this presumably door. And they... No, they're, they're dead. They're going to die. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Do they and, have names? No. <laughs> so Trix and Flair rush off to the basement to reinforce because the, the fight is very much at a turning point. You know, in the future, I believe Flair gets um, much more brave once he learns the Telekine Dome discipline. <laughs> once he has... Uh, mobile psychic armor. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, that helps. Uh, I think he's actually going to get more brave once he realizes that he can like Hulk out now. Oh, right, because he's going to be a biomancer. Yeah, uh, spoiler, yeah. he's a biomancer. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see that soon. Maybe even next week. So this week we are talking about random character creation. Yeah. Um. Do not do it. There we go. Character creation forge. Okay. Moving on. And we're done. No, that's silly because we actually use random character creation for the Rogue Trader game. Yeah, so yeah, we do. There are guidelines. I kind of hate it, but no, you don't. Uh, you're right. You're right. I don't thoroughly hate it. All right. So we talked about um, using random tables to figure out your character's backstory before the game begins back in episode 122, which of course I know all of you have listened to, even though we got an email recently from a guy who said, "Hey, I don't listen to every episode, but." It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't hurt much. Much. Yeah. Anymore. Okay, but today we're talking about the much more common practice of randomly generating your character's statistics. Now that's ability scores, which I think is the thing that's probably the most common, but also hit points, gear, things like that. And this is an argument, you know, to do or not to do uh, that has raged for decades, literally decades, between players, between players and their GMs, between me and my GMs, uh, between random strangers on the internet, between me and random strangers on the internet. You feel very passionately about this. I do. (laughs) But today, this episode is about if you're going to do it or if you are forced to do it, how to make the most of it. You know, because some people love it. Some people hate it. Um, And it has spun out um, dozens of different variations on how exactly you use the dice to figure out your character's abilities. Yeah, so let's uh, take a walk through history and remind ourselves how we got to this point. (laughs) How did we get here? Where did we go wrong? (laughs) Well, the first place we went wrong is that uh, Gary Gygax originally didn't give us a way to do this, and people just had to infer it. 
uh, in the very first edition of D&D. Yeah, like when you got damage ranges that were just, you know, number to number and no specific way of how to generate that random number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Greg Fireball, 6 to 36. Okay. I, I guess it's 66, but like, <laughs> that's not a flat curve. So like, what if I can actually roll a D40? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, D40 minus 4. 2D20? min six max 36 (laughs) okay so in original D &D, uh circa 1974 if you look in men and magic you get your six ability scores which i think are strength and then intelligence and some other order Mm. uh it's 3d6 down the line but you don't get to roll it your gm rolls the numbers of course (laughs) the most trustworthy person to roll it (laughs) yeah yeah you know i gave you some balanced numbers for your sheet right <laughs> you're terrible at everything because you know you're playing yourself then uh by the time ad and d comes around uh the the main convention was rolling 46 and then dropping the lowest score so that gave you your your still a range of 3 to 18 uh, but then you could arrange those to the stats that you wanted that was method number one then there are a bunch of others that began the tradition of ridiculous methods to uh, rein in the randomness of just 46 drop the lowest. Yeah, it's everything is trying to get towards the center. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I still want to roll, but I don't I don't want it to be too dangerous. Right, cuz I, I mean I don't want to be like I don't want to be lame and not roll. Like I accept the dice, but like only if the dice are capped to this like playable range. Yeah, I mean, if if I happen to roll really well, then like then I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I I earned that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look, it's on my side. So you could do things like uh, rolling three d six twelve different times, and then pick the best six results, and then arrange those in whatever order you wanted. You could also uh, roll all of your stats in order, but roll three d six six times for each stat, and then keep the highest. Or you could do things like. Uh, Roll 3d6 down the line and generate 12 different sets of six ability scores and then pick the set that you like the best. I've I've heard all of these in different variations for, you know, people who are arguing over, oh, I hate rolling stats. Ah, well, what I do when I have my players roll stats is here's five different steps and some permutation and you, you take the absolute value and then there you go. Right. Then around second edition, uh, something weird happened. We went back to 3D6 down the line as uh, method number one, the default. Yeah, I, I feel like in second edition, everybody did 46 drop lowest, though, like as it, a matter of practice. Totally, because I, I think at that point, there were enough people playing being like, oh, 3D6 down the line is bad. Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I would like to do cool <laughs> stuff, please. I would like to do literally anything. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, later on in the AD&D life cycle, the second edition life cycle, um, skills and, we got the skills and powers books, which for the first time introduced point buy. Well, kind of. Sort of, kind of, yeah. Because you could buy the stat, but remember you had to roll for your 18 strength because strength had the D100 roll associated oh, with Jesus, it. Oh, Jesus, you're right. There was also that. And also it, it didn't scale. Um, things didn't get more expensive. You just had 75 points to distribute however right. you wanted. There yeah. you go. So it was almost like you must min-max. Why would you not? Right. Okay, and then third edition, we're not going to deal with. There's point by, there was rolling. Yeah, that's when we got a concept of the standard array and different things. And and now we are where we are, where I think most people are probably point buying per the PHP. 
Yeah, although the technical default method is 46 drop lowest. A re- default Rearranged method. as you want. A default Yeah, method. although the default is also, or you can take the standard. The standard, like, right. You don't right. even have to ask your GM to take the standard. Right. At least in 5th edition. Now, that all seems super complicated. Shane, why would anyone subject themselves to this? A little bit of tradition. You know, a little nostalgia for the old days of like huddled over your dice in your room, uh, rolling up your characters and seeing how good or how bad they would be. Yeah, that's right. That's how mom generated her ability scores. That's how grandma generated her ability scores. Okay. (laughs) Back in the depression, they rolled 2d6 down the line. I mean, maybe the nostalgia is just like, you know, 15 years ago, but whatever. But yeah, I mean, and honestly, it's, I think it's totally valid to be like, hey, this is how we played it in like my basement back in the day. And it was awesome. Yeah. Let's just play this one old school. I think there's also an element of like the gambling, high risk, high reward sort of outcome, right? Like it's, it's worth maybe having a worse character for the shot of having that like right tail super high roll yeah the two 18s and a 16 right <laughs> and the four right <laughs> i think uh I, and also it, it does sort of emulate uh or allow you to emulate uh some of the characters that you saw in early D fiction because they were kind of based on these random roles right like raceland has like garbage constitution yeah yeah most of like the circle of eight are not very good characters because <laughs> they were just the random characters that got played at Gygax's table. Well, that's why they had to be like, you know, level 45 right. in order to actually do anything. Yep. Elminster was like, uh, I'm just going to keep adventuring. Right. <laughs> uh, it is also more simulationist. If you are the type of gamer who wants a game that feels like a real living world, then yeah, some people get shafted on like how smart they are or how wise they are, or how strong they are. And others win the genetic lottery. And so you just sort of deal with that and you you push through. Yeah, that was our, our reasoning for using random rolling in uh, in 40K was just that the universe hates you in 40K anyway. So there's no reason that the dice shouldn't dictate that as well. Yeah, and it was a good introduction for people who hadn't played any 40K before was, uh, yeah, most of the time you're just going to suck. Yep. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> Uh, you talk about this a lot, but uh, it is an opportunity to find out who your character is. You know, when you're point buying, you usually say, okay, who do I want to be? Let's create that person. When you're rolling, um, I guess you're just going to see, and then you have a framework on which to build a personality. Right. Yep. I'll see where where my stats end up, and then I'll figure out what am I going to play with this. Mm-hmm. And I think that... That can be a fun conversation that happens in a session zero, which is, all right, let's all roll our stats first. And then let's see who is what in the party and like what kind of party we're going to be. Right. And that's a bit what we did in 40K, which was, you know, you, you roll your stats before you necessarily pick your role. And then we had to be like, okay, we need someone who's smart. Right. <laughs> okay, I guess that's you. <laughs> yeah, you're the smartest. <laughs> right. Because 40K is is down the line. Yep. Yeah. You don't you don't rearrange. Well, you do get a swap and a reroll. Well, you get a reroll. You get a reroll, no swap, yeah. 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 And then of course, there are a lot of games where the rules just require it. Like that's how to that's how you do it. You know, there is no opportunity or alternative. You just generate your stats this way and here's how you play. Yeah, I think a, a lot of older games especially didn't have the concept of point by, so they never provided a method 
to like have a determined character generation. Um, other games like Traveler, you know, random character creation is the charm of the system. <laughs> like sometimes the only charm because you died. Because you died. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but there are some drawbacks, and I think even people who love rolling for stats can admit that there are drawbacks, and that is why we see an evolution of methods. You know, if it was wonderful and no one had a problem with it and it didn't cause any issues, we'd still be doing 3D6 on the line. And I think the the most obvious one is that you are deriving long-term consequences from one single roll of the dice. So, like, in older RPGs, it, it didn't matter that much because if your character was just god-awful, you would die, and then you just roll up another character. You know, like, do random uh, rolls for stats if you're playing Tomb of Horrors. Who cares? Right. You can have all 18s. You're still going to die. You're still going to die. But in comparison, more modern games have tended towards longer campaign structures, sort of more narrative stories focused on the characters themselves, less around the environment that they're adventuring in so having a system that allows you to have a competent party that has a good chance of sticking together through the whole campaign was prioritized yeah the big change that had to happen was the system needed to allow you to play the character you actually wanted to play right like if you have a barbarian who gets stuck with an eight constitution it's not only difficult for you to like be the big tough barbarian or play like a fun character like that but you also have a really hard time contributing to the party and you're kind of letting everyone else down. This is similar to the reason that uh, more modern games have moved away from save or die, for example. You know, okay, your entire character and the whole story you built up rests on this one single die roll. Yeah, and, and in D&D, this is always, even after the better distributed methods of rolling, like, it still showed up in HP rolls, right? Like, if you if you had a great character with great stats and then rolled low on your HP rolls, it didn't matter. You were still going to be screwed. Oh, D12 hit die yeah. for a barbarian. Roll two ones. Great. <laughs> I've got six HP at level two. I am ruined. Um, You know, like we, we had this happen to us in uh, Birthright as well when we were rolling for our bloodline and our abilities. Like if you roll low bloodline, you're just worse you just get to do less stuff you could just have fewer capabilities and then your bloodline abilities the the things that come out of your bloodline are also random so if you roll poorly on those you might get useless abilities that don't help your character in any way compared to somebody who rolls much higher on the chart and ends up with like great and powerful and like frequently used abilities yeah it's kind of like hey everyone you're all going to get wizard levels uh, but you're going to roll a d12 for wizard level right (laughs) (laughs) i mean my character in birthright (laughs) my bloodline ability was a was a bonus to dex of which was my dump stat and i rolled the d4 and rolled a one so i went from eight dex to nine which meant no difference pretty sweet what was your uh initial bloodline was it a five or a nine I, I started, out of a out of a hundred. Yeah, I think you can roll as high as like eighty eight. Yeah, I started with nine. Uh huh. Oh, Brenna. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I've since moved on to fifteen in Azrai. <laughs> hey, you know he is justifiably better. Got a lot of charisma and evil. Okay, it's also much harder for a GM to balance encounters. 
like if you're looking at the challenge rating of a particular monster or an encounter or you're reading the GM advice in like the DMG or you know the the back of whatever game you're playing it becomes a lot less meaningful when there's no way for you to tell how a particular character in the party matches up to whatever the book thinks standard is i think this comes out a lot in like questions i'll see on like reddit or other rpg forums someone will be like oh i have a real problem with this character in my party i'm not really sure what's going on and then inevitably someone asks well what are their stats and it'll be like oh well you know two 18s a 16 and a 14 and it's like oh well they're horribly broken yeah that's why this isn't working they're too powerful that's why you cannot (laughs) challenge them (laughs) which which actually isn't always a problem because you can just scale things up except that you run into an issue with balancing members of the party Mm. so it's fine if you have a bunch of characters with multiple 18s and high stats and lots of skills or, or high level or whatever like that's great except if you have one of those characters who's very very well like rolled and other characters who are very poorly rolled like how do you create an encounter that is challenging that isn't just going to either kill the bottom half of your party or going to bore the top half of your party yeah exactly like great give everyone in your party 14 wizard levels that's actually not a problem you can balance that it's much more difficult when like someone gets a lot of levels and someone gets none right and then I don't know, maybe they're, maybe this isn't a problem for you, which is great. Um, but when so many things rest on one roll or six rolls, then any cheating is amplified across the entire lifetime of that character. I have heard a few actual plays who will not, who I will not name, uh, where I keep thinking, how are they getting such high results all the time? And then it turns out that they have, like, multiple scores above uh, 16 at, like, level 6. And I'm like, well, that okay, you all must have rolled for stats, but those are highly unlikely stats. Are you saying that sometimes RPG players will cheat on their stat rolls? I'm saying if you are someone inclined to cheat... Because I have definitely done this. (laughs) Look, the time to cheat is on your stat rolls. I I started playing D&D when I was, like... 12 (laughs) so i have cheated the out of it (laughs) you get the most bang for your buck that's all i'm saying (laughs) well i mean the first time like most of my experience with D D as a kid was rolling characters right so who who was i affecting by cheating uh it was much more satisfying to see a 14 than a 12 on my sheet you know that plus two is it helps me i agree with you and one of the reasons i like point by is it feels like okay i gave up something for that Right. You know, but yeah, like even playing like Baldur's Gate. Um, oh, yeah. I definitely rerolled stats. Oh, God. Yeah. Hundreds re-rolled. of times. Yes. Of Why course would you I do. play this game if I were not good stats? <laughs> uh, and even if you're not someone who cheats normally, the temptation is extraordinarily strong. I highly suggest if you are rolling for stats, everyone do it in the middle of the table, out in the open, one at a time because it's pretty easy to obscure when everyone is rolling six numbers. Yeah, and it's also easy to be like, oh, that die was cocked, or oh, this is like the only thing I need for my character to work how I want it to, and like this random roll just blew up my character. Like, oh, what's the harm in re-rolling it? Like, I just need it to not be a four. I just need to get like to an eight, and yeah. I'll be good. You know, Paylor is watching. Yeah, I know. He knows. He yeah. knows what's happening. 
You're going to roll ones from here on out, kid. <laughs> Just on fire spells. All right. So we're going to do random character creation. What are some ways to implement this uh, reliably and safely? Yeah, you want to. You still want to have fun rolling the dice? Great. Have everyone use the same set of stats. Okay? That way nobody is getting shafted over everyone else. You can still balance things, but there's still the excitement of rolling. And there are a couple ways to do this. You can have the party generate all of those together. I kind of like the idea of you have six players. Great. Everyone rolls one of the stats. Yeah, you've got 10 players. Great. Everyone rolls one of your Dark Heresy stats. <laughs> Done. Don't play Dark Heresy with 10 players. Right. Um, and then, you know, rearrange as you see fit, right? Or the other thing you can do is just have everyone select from the same pool of stats. So great. Everyone rolls 3d6 down the line. Okay. Let's take all of those sets of stats, put them in the center of the table and anyone can use any of those sets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if there is one really high set, everyone can end up using that. If there's a handful of sort of medium sets, you can choose which one fits the concept you're looking for. Exactly. And you could even, it could be that like one set is terrible, but has one 18. If you decide, you know what, I'm going to be like the wizard. All I care about is my intelligence score. Like, great. That's Perfect. me. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's also helpful if you allow rearranging stats so you don't tie the role into the specific slot, right? Like, as long as all of your ability scores fit, then uh, you're okay. Yeah, we talked about this in uh, the Dark Heresy game that Jim ran, where you were a psyker and I was your untouchable brother. In order to actually play those characters, like, with the mechanics of the game, you they both have to have high willpower. But... Dark Heresy is not the kind of game where you can be like, all right, I want to make sure that I have this good stat. You don't place them. You roll down the line. Right. And you get one reroll. But Jim was like, all right, tell you what. If you get crappy willpower, then you can swap it with one other thing. Right. That changes very little. The vast majority of the ability scores are still very random. All it did was make sure that we could play the awesome concept we came up with because it was an awesome concept. <laughs> I mean, it was awesome for us. It was less awesome for Jim. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys do we hide in the, in yeah. the chimera we lock the doors <laughs> we look out for number one and number two uh number one and number two yeah okay <laughs> uh if you are going to try to fly high and go for those great rolls you can just make sure that everyone's using a net so third edition allowed you to re-roll all of your stats from scratch if the uh some of the modifiers was too low which brought around my favorite piece of character generation in 3rd edition, which was, oh no, I've rolled crappy so far. Well, let's hope I keep doing it. <laughs> right, come on, I, once. I don't want to accidentally hit the threshold. Right. right. <laughs> Nothing is worse than netting a plus two. Right. All 11s? That technically counts. Yeah. <laughs> in 5th edition, the rules as written say that you can choose to use the standard array, but it, it implies that you need to do that before you actually roll. In 5th edition, you can just say, all right, if you roll terribly, then you can just take the standard array because there actually isn't the um, the outlet saying, okay, if you roll terribly, then uh, you can re-roll. Mm -hmm. Like it, technically in 5th edition, you can end up with all threes and like that's it, you're stuck. And I'd say this is the same thing for, for hit points. Like don't roll for hit points, but if you have to, then you can say, all right, you roll. And then if you get a one or you know less than average right less than the median that you could have rolled then you take you take the average uh or some sort of standard hit point gain you can even be like 
great. If you're rolling um, a, a D12, the lowest you can get is like a four, even though that's still low. Right. So another thing you can do as a GM is fix it uh, if there's an imbalance or, or if some character is getting hampered by this. You know, you've got magic items, you've got um, equipment, you have, you know, special rewards and, and that type of thing that can help elevate a character who has fallen behind because of poor dice rolling. Yeah, like there are gauntlets of ogre power. Those exist. I think they're uncommon. Mm-hmm. Throw one of those into the mix or, you know, make, make sure that the character who desperately needs it is the only one to find them. Right. And, and I think there are plenty of like uh, characters in fiction who have a signature item that they never, ever part with and never take off. You know, I don't think Wonder Woman ever takes her bracers off. Right. Another thing is to uh, just play a game with more characters in it, right? Like let uh, let the law of large numbers sort of level the playing field by playing a meat grinder. If characters are dying frequently, then any given character's low stats is less important. Yeah, and then if you end up with a character that has low stats who has survived, that's actually kind of cool. You know, you can it you've lucked out enough, and so let's see how far this guy can get. Right. Uh, you can lean into it um, like we do in Dark Heresy. Uh, like we said, the game expects you to fail. But if you look at the mechanics of that game, there are many, many, many ways to boost your typically garbage chances of succeeding at anything. Uh, you can get boosts of um, 60%, which I guess translating to a D20 system would be like plus 12 yeah, I mean that's the challenge of that system specifically is that it's not readily apparent how much of a like your average bonus should be on a roll, but it needs to be like you know plus twenty, plus thirty, pretty regularly to feel remotely competent. Yeah, and you know the game expects that you're going to be working in tandem with other people because right. in the fiction you can't do anything alone. Exactly. No, this is a this is a team versus the world kind of game, and you can also finally take a step back and figure out if it is randomness that is causing your fun or if it can be found in some other way that doesn't need to then be mitigated. You can have the same goals, but often those can be achieved by point by or static gains in the same way. Like the argument I see a lot is, uh, I don't like uh, to use point by because I like the chance of getting a, a really low stat and then I can role play that. I was like, well, okay, you can, you can role play any low stat that you want, you know? Uh, you can also just buy a low stat or like you know you have eight intelligence great you can role play it like you are the dumb barbarian that you want to play right without being cripplingly bad for your entire party right so another place where randomness typically takes over characters is in the rewards for an adventure like especially old school modules had all of the treasure tables and those types of things but even recent adventures give you uh, a random amount of gold or a random amount of loot yeah and that can have really strong effects on the party like most magic item tables are really heavily weighted toward long swords um so okay now your party's gotten a bunch of long swords uh so i guess you're either selling them or or like a reasonable simulationist group of people would say, wow, we keep finding long swords. Maybe I should learn how to use a long we sword. We should learn how to do this, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what you did in Dark Heresy. Like, yes. <laughs> Flair wanted a force sword, but he got a force staff. So guess who learned how to use a staff? <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think that's fine for your capstone weapon, right? Like, oh, wow, I it's a hammer. 
okay, I, you know, I can, I can learn how to use a hammer, but if, you know, for four levels, you've been the spike chain fighter or the, the bow fighter, which is super normal. It is not weird to be like, I'm an archer. Uh, but I think there's one magic bow in the entire dungeon master's guide in fifth edition. And it's the not great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You see, you knew it because it's the only one. <laughs> and well, I think there are zero crossbows. There's plus one bow. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> plus, and two plus two bow. <laughs> and a plus three bow. <laughs> you know, the problem is bounded accuracy. Then we could have up to plus five. Oh, right. And only bows get plus five. <laughs> and I feel like it, it tends to be like the same GMs who complain that point by makes every fighter look the same are the same people who are like handing out only long swords and then like wondering why is it that no one else was branching out? Why, uh, why can't you just be your own person? Well, it's because I have nothing to hit with except this long sword. Right. And then even right at the beginning of character creation, many systems start out with you rolling for the amount of cash you get on hand. Um, 5e you can pick different packages but you can also just roll and every class starts out with like a different random amount of gold yeah and if if you think like fifth edition has gotten rid of a lot of this stuff like keep in mind full plate still costs 1600 gold or something like that Mm -hmm. like it is meant to be an objective to get to full plate so the fighter is actually working on a secondary experience track with gold pieces that are rolled randomly by default that affect his ability to get into that plate Mm -hmm, totally um if you're a rogue and you rolled really poorly you might not have the 25 gold pieces it costs to buy thieves tools right or uh or a rapier yeah so great guess Mm -hmm. you're really bad at being a rogue right uh can you buy enough arrows to start off with like you usually start with 20 okay how many times can the fighter use that sword right yeah, it's it's a weird vestige that like this is still in D&D given how much randomness has been stripped out of it. Like why? Why is equipment still beholden to this old system of how much can I save and scrounge and whatever? So, just keep that in mind in the early levels it really impacts survivability. Or do what I think most GMs do, which is let them start with what they want. <laughs> if it's not magical, it's probably not a problem. Or at level three. Right. Oh, unless you have uh, players like us who are like, well, this uh, galleon is non-magical. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we have eight tons of wood. What do we do? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would like to buy corn futures. <laughs> and then learn the blight spell. <laughs> We burn all the wheat fields and only the wheat fields. <laughs> How much is salt and a plow? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so in conclusion, if you really feel like you have the need to make character creation as random as you want, do it. Do it. If you think it's fun, then you should absolutely be doing it because that's what this game is about. That's what playing RPGs is about. Do whatever it is that makes you have the most fun. But try to keep in mind that you want to be doing what makes it the most fun for everyone. So just because you love rolling doesn't necessarily mean that everybody loves rolling. And it also doesn't mean that, uh, you know, five levels in, everyone is happy with the way that things started. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what I would take away from it is just to to keep an eye on how effective each character is and use your sort of GM's hand to help elevate the characters that are falling behind the curve. 
And if you're a player who's falling behind the curve, um, maybe mention it to the rest of the party. <laughs> like, hey guys, like I haven't hit anything in a while. Can I get some help? I'm terrible. Do you guys want to leave me behind? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, like, I volunteer to dive into the maw of the kraken. <laughs> Give me the dead pack. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, roll to ignite it. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? It's the last thing you'll ever hear. The maw of the kraken exploding. I had someone else light it. <laughs> this is good timing because we're on our way to the character creation forge anyway. Oh, let's, perfect. Let's roll up a new one. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Promethean. Yes, uh, you have ended up with a misshapen lump of clay. You've been handed two fours, uh, an 11, which is the high point, uh, and a couple of sixes. Oh. Well, what do you do? That's actually going to be a problem because we, we can't multi-class. <laughs> it won't be a problem, good sir. You are playing the Promethean. <laughs> actually, play a Moon Druid, just play a Moon Druid 20. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, done. Yep. But that's not really a build. Right. So we bring you the Promethean. Because if you did get forced to roll for stats, uh, there's no option for re-rolling in 5th edition. You gotta select the standard array ahead of time, and some GMs say, that's too bad. Okay, so, how are we gonna bail ourselves out with Uh, the Promethean? Oh dear lord, we are playing Samurai Fighter 12 Mastermind Rogue 8, which is crazy. So to do this, we only need 13 decks. (laughs) That's right, and remember, you can start with three decks and be a fighter right um you just can't multi-class out of it till you get to 13 but you just gotta run for 13 uh start elf or halfling or something like that elf is good because in fifth edition having crappy stats doesn't affect your speed so you're still gonna move at 35 if you're a wood elf right which is great halfling has lucky which will be really good for you right um however you can't use uh long bows you're stuck with short bows or crossbows. You could also do variant human and take uh, any feat that gives you a plus one to dex. So in any of those cases, you end up with a plus two to dexterity. So the minimum dex is going to be five that you're starting with. Perfect. We've already solved 20% of the problem. There we go. It's no big deal because at fighter level one, you get archery fighting style, which is a plus two to attack. Perfect. Which you desperately, desperately need. <laughs> now, we can't be sure that we've got good constitution or hit points. So. No. We're going we're gonna to use second wind from fighter as well to give us a little boost in the middle of combat. Oh, yeah. And every hour anyone else is spending any time, that's an extra D10 plus one hit points. Correct. Uh, you will eventually get extra attack, which is great because most likely you're going to be missing a lot. So attacking more times is good. <laughs> eventually, you'll even get three attacks. Right. And the samurai at third level gets fighting spirit, which three times per day lets you get advantage in all your weapon attacks for an entire round, which is also going to help significantly in actually hitting anything. From a distance, because you'll be going to be using a longbow, uh, stay very far away from anything that can hurt you. So by level 12, you will have four ability score increases, which will allow you to add an extra eight to your uh, dexterity if required, meaning... You now have a minimum 
13. There you go. Hey, the math works out. Congratulations. <laughs> you are now able to multi-class into Rogue. Why Rogue? Well, you get four expertises. And since your stats are crap, it really helps to add uh, your proficiency bonus to them. Twice. Yes. Uh, you can also use cunning action to hide. Hopefully you're taking stealth uh, with one of those expertises. And because when you're hidden and you're popping out uh, with your range attack, you're going to get advantage on that, which will, of course, increase your hit uh, percentage. And it will also allow you to use your sneak attack, which will offset your low damage from having low dexterity. <laughs> uh, the mastermind, which is not typically very good, lets you use the help action as a bonus action and you're a rogue you're getting plenty of proficiencies even if you are bad at something terrible charisma terrible wisdom whatever you can help someone else do it no matter what your stat is i'm going to help you perceive so that's good i don't need to have good wisdom oh i'm going to help you attack because i'm not very good at hitting it but you might be (laughs) yeah nothing (laughs) and uh rogue also gets you uncanny dodge which uh, gives you resistance to uh, damage from an attack, which is great because you probably have very low HP. All right. So what is the leveling order here? Uh, start with fighter uh, and keep pumping your dexterity until you're allowed to multiclass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you just take best available. I think as soon as you can get into rogue, the next time that you get a... Uh, an ability score increase you can take the lucky feat that's probably the most bang for your buck here because you're garbage at everything yeah you you might as well bail yourself out with an extra roll every once in a while seriously so this is really like a quantity over quality type build uh three attacks all with advantage a few times a day and a few lucky re-rolls um and then after that hide and snipe hide snipe run away right (laughs) (laughs) all right ishan who is your promethean my Promethean uh, is cursed by the gods. Obviously. Yes. Her parents were bad people, and they had a child. And the gods looked down upon her parents and said, I don't like what you do. I don't like who you are. Uh, and so I am going to punish you with a child who is ugly and dumb and weak and clumsy and this is, uh this is like really dark <laughs> these gods are bad but has a heart of gold okay <laughs> chaotic good chaotic good okay and bad at everything but uh man just will not give up uh cat w- refuses to accept her lot in life and says you know what i'm gonna make something of myself as as much as i can anyway i will be no longer clumsy i will probably still be not particularly bright (laughs) or particularly (laughs) strong but oh man i will be somewhat slightly above average in gymnastics in in one thing (laughs) (laughs) and i think from a practical perspective her parents said wow we want our kid to survive um they don't have a lot going for them what is the best thing to do ah stay at range we're going to teach you to use a bow don't let anyone see you because you look hideous uh, you're not going to be able to convince them of anything, and you're not that bright. So we're not going to we're not going to worry about books. Forget the books. It's target practice all day, all the time. You're wow. going to get really good at this. You're going to be so good at this. You are 
So she is single-minded in pursuit. I think she is uh, a sharp instrument that just needs to be directed by a good warlord. But again, heart of gold, heart of gold, soul of the party. (laughs) This is, wow. (laughs) Perhaps the least playable suggestion we've ever had. What, everyone? uh, It's basically uh, the pet of the party. But it's a person. Yeah, she's great and nice. She's nice. Okay. And great aim. (laughs) Sort of. Good breath. Yeah, sort of. (laughs) Great-ish aim. Decent enough. Better than, well, slightly better than average. Can hit when necessary. How about that? Okay, yeah. Because mm-hmm. lucky, right? right. That's, that's the final bit of the curse is the gods look down and say, I like what you've done, though. Right. <laughs> uh, we're going to be on your side. you got a real go-getter attitude, kid. <laughs> I like your style. I like your fighting style. All right, Shane, who's your Promethean? My Promethean is a squire. Oh. Mm. So, uh has sworn loyalty to one of the other adventurers, probably a paladin or a fighter, um, in the party, and is accompanying them on their adventures. And so my Promethean is not naturally gifted, is not naturally brave, is not naturally spirited, but is picking up skills as she goes along, right? Is learning how to contribute, how to um, help the knight or help the paladin in whatever way the paladin needs, um, so sometimes that means providing a little bit of a distraction, you know? Uh, oh, and mine was dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the help action. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I thought you were like, go run out into the open. <laughs> no, 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 no. Take incoming fire. <laughs> sometimes that means just watching their back, you know? Like mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a, it's a jack of all trades kind of helping out. Um, and then, you know, of course, like helping to don and doff armor and shining it up and all that sort of stuff. Tool proficiencies. Very many tool proficiencies. <laughs> Strong background skill. Strong back. <laughs> no, not really, actually. No, no, weak back. Right. Yeah. Poor muscle control. Also, I mean, maybe you pull a sword out of a stone and then Cade treats you nicely for once. <laughs> Name's still worth, though. Sorry. Yeah. All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? Ah, we are taking a listener question and we're talking about spicing up combat. And in the character creation forge? It's the beginning of anime. And so we are building Izanagi. Uh Uh-huh. That's it for episode 143 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 